Hi, everybody. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And we're here with just the two of us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we review your favorite animals by rating them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we try our best to get the most trustworthy information we can. Usually each week, Christian and I bring our own animal, each a separate animal. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're doing something a little different this week because it's a holiday. We really wanted to do an episode highlighting the turkey because American Thanksgiving is this week. It is. Yes. And originally we were just going to do two different uh, North American animals, except I got so into my turkey notes that I realized that I had six pages of things to say about the turkey, and there was no way that we were going to be able to fit two animals, and I didn't want your animal to be snubbed. <laughs> <laughs> well, it will be in the future, I'm sure. Yeah, next one, you can come back with that one. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. So I figure that, you know, anybody who is uh, celebrating Thanksgiving this week might be eating a turkey. I know not everybody eats turkeys for Thanksgiving, but it is kind of the more traditional meal. Right. The the protein of choice for the holiday. Yes. With a close second being a baked ham, perhaps. I think of ham as more of a Christmas thing, but I know for some people it's the other way around. Right. Um, But anyway, the turkey is usually seen depicted in Thanksgiving imagery. Maybe you're about to eat some or, you know, even if you're not about to eat any turkey at all, it's still just good to know about them because they're incredible animals. (laughs) But so, yeah, I am talking about the wild turkey this week. The uh, species name is Meliagris gallopavo. This is the sort of parent species of the domesticated turkey. Okay. So domesticated turkeys come from this species of wild turkey, but the species still lives in the wild in North America. So just to clarify, wild turkeys, domestic turkeys, same species? Same species. Okay. Yes. With some differences because domesticated turkeys have been domesticated for thousands of years and have naturally lost a lot of their survival instincts and adaptations <laughs> that's one way to put it <laughs> they're being <laughs> because they're being bred by humans yeah. for you know uh, consumption. consumption yes so they've lost a lot of their way i think mm-hmm. <laughs> so i'm going to be trying to be more fair to the turkey by evaluating the wild turkey which you can still see today i've seen wild turkeys have you seen wild turkeys oh yeah lots of them yeah oh you're a farm boy too you know all about turkeys i spent a lot of time on a georgia farm as a child um (laughs) saw lots of them there and we also saw them unexpectedly on our trip to california a couple months back yeah they were just kind of like strolling through that neighborhood yeah just walking down the street yeah we saw them (laughs) everywhere it was really fun yeah because we don't really see them where we live but you i have seen them in the wild in florida for sure just mm-hmm. not oh, in yeah. our particular like neighborhood in California. They were just walking through the neighborhood. Yep, wouldn't see that here. Not very much. Well, we've also got predators that would probably enjoy a turkey. <laughs> yeah, wreck their day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this species, I will say, was submitted by John from Connecticut via email. Thank you, John. And I'm getting my information from so many, so many places. Mostly, though, from the Cornell Lab of Ornithology's website, allaboutbirds.org, as well as the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission and National Geographic and all sorts of other places that I'll cite as they come up. Some some surprising 
primary documents that I was able to track down for this. <laughs> it, it makes sense that this animal is so heavily studied. Yes. I wouldn't necessarily call it heavily studied. Mm-hmm. Just we know a lot about them. Sure. Because we've been living so closely alongside them for so long mm-hmm. that, you know, they're like our best buds, basically. <laughs> um, so there's so much information out there about domesticated and wild turkeys that, you know, I was just able to find so much not just information about the animal, but like very interesting ways that they pop up throughout human history oh, okay. in North America. It's it's very interesting stuff. But to first introduce you to the turkey, especially if you don't live in North America and aren't very familiar with a, what a turkey is. They are about four feet tall. So on the bigger side for mm-hmm. a bird. Not the biggest bird we've got around here, but pretty big. The thing is that they're very chunky. Yeah, for yeah. a bird. They're um, 11 to 24 pounds, which is pretty solid for mm-hmm. a bird like this. That's why they're such a good meat bird, because there's just so much muscle on them, right? They're right. just very, very bulky bird. They belong to the taxonomic order called Galliformes, and these are called gallinaceous birds oh have you ever heard this word before no but i like it isn't it cool that sounds so <laughs> flattering it feels like you could get away with calling somebody gallinaceous as like a backhanded like a disguised insult if you wanted to call someone a turkey you could call them gallinaceous it does sound like that does is there another meaning to this word perhaps so this word means all birds that belong to this like galliformes order and this includes other landfowl so Chickens, mm. uh, quail, pheasants, uh, guinea fowl, and peafowl, which yes. uh, when I say peafowl, people might not immediately recognize that that is the word for what a lot of people just call peacocks. Right. So the word peacock actually is supposed to only refer to the male peafowl, mm-hmm. and the females are called peahens. But... The peacocks are so flashy and like attention grabbing that usually when you're talking about a peafowl, you're probably just talking about the peacock. Mm-hmm. And so that became just the more common use of the word. And then eventually now everybody calls them all peacocks. Okay. Yeah. So you'll hear people say like a female peacock, even though <laughs> that's kind of like contradictory. Sure. But that's just the way the word is used now. I fully don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I will not correct you if you use the word peacock to refer to them all. I don't care. Just an interesting note that they are gallinaceous birds as well. I have familiarity with the, the guinea did you call them guinea fowls? Guinea fowl, yeah. I have familiarity with those too. Oh yeah? Yes. Did you did you keep those? My aunt and uncle's farm had them. Mm. Yes. Did you get to chase them around? I didn't do too much chasing. <laughs> <laughs> but they were uh, quite noisy. Yes. And like like to be in tr- in low-lying trees. That is the noisiness is a common theme in this family. Okay. This is a noisy bunch, the gallinaceous <laughs> birds. I don't know if you've ever heard a peacock like oh, yeah. calling. If you've ever seen the movie Up and heard the cry that they use for the bird Kevin in that movie, that like <laughs> That oh, kind of yeah. sound, that's kind of what a peacock sounds like. There's an area of Florida, I think it's called Cocoa Beach, to where there's a ton of, I, I don't know, feral 
feral, are, I suppose you could call them. There are multiple <laughs> feral peacock populations in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, they're all over the place. Um, I will also say there is also one other turkey species in the same genus as our wild turkey. Um, and it is called the oscillated turkey. Oh. They live in Mexico. Interesting. And they have the most gorgeous rainbow feathers. Aww. Like their feathers have this really beautiful rainbow iridescence, kind of like the Nicobar pigeon, if you've ever seen that. I don't think so. Um, it's just a gorgeous bird. So you can you can really see the resemblance to the peafowl when you look at like the oscillated turkey. You can see a lot more okay. uh, similarities there. And it kind of makes the wild turkey look a little bit more drab by comparison. <laughs> Like the North American wild turkey is very, it's all brown, has a slight iridescent sheen on the feathers in some Mm. spots, but is mostly a little bit more drab than their uh, oscillated cousins in Mexico. I do, before we get like into the meat of the bird, I want to talk about its etymology because it's a common joke that this bird, the turkey, shares its name with the nation of Turkey. Right. So there is an interesting story as to how the bird turkey got the name turkey in English. Okay. Originally, the African birds that we now call guinea fowl came to Europe through Turkish traders. So English speakers associated the guinea fowl with Turkish traders started calling the that bird the turkey fowl. Because they associated it with traders from Turkey. Okay. So they're like, okay, this is the turkey fowl. Fast forward hundreds of years, the Spanish bring turkeys from Mexico that had already been domesticated in Mexico. Mm -hmm. They bring them back to Europe. The English speakers see this brown bird from Mexico. Notice that it's very similar to the turkey fowl from Africa. Mm-hmm. And it's not really, I couldn't really find any confirmation as to whether this was a mistaken identity or just one of the things where they were like close enough. But eventually they started to call the brown birds turkey fowl. Okay. And then renamed the other ones guinea fowl. So they were named that because they were just similar enough to what English speakers had already been getting from Turkey. So, to make things more confusing, in Turkish, the turkey is called Hindi, which means from India. What? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> a lot of other languages <laughs> followed suit. Like, French calls it dand, which means from India. Uh, so, a lot of people were calling it an Indian bird, even though it's, this is probably due to that whole confusion with America as being called like the Indies, right? When people originally thought that when they hit the coast of the Americas that they were reaching India. Huh. So, there was like that confusion. <laughs> So a lot of places called it Indian, which it's not. And then on top of that, the Portuguese played a complete wild card. And you know what they called it? What? Peru. Why? Has nothing to do with Peru. (laughs) (laughs) Just an absolute wild card. So so like everyone's name for this bird is like attributing it to a place it has nothing to do with. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Except for, of course, indigenous American languages, which, I mean, obviously they already had their own names for the turkey. We could have avoided all of this by just using that. That's what I'm saying. Because we did that with a <laughs> lot of other, like, there are a lot of names that we get for animals that come from indigenous languages. Maybe this is how we learned the lesson. 
Uh, but I did want to bring up some of the indigenous words okay. for the turkey. Uh, the Wampanoag name for the turkey would have been Nahum. The uh, Anishinaabe Moan word for turkey is Mizise, which I think is really pretty. Oh. Mizise, yeah. There is also a modern Spanish word for the turkey. So this, the Spanish word for turkey is pavo, which comes from Latin. But there's another Spanish word for turkey, and it's guajolote. Okay. And this comes from the Nahuatl word for the turkey, which was huesholotl. Okay. Yeah. So that word huesholotl became guajolote, which is another Spanish word for turkey. Is this a case where that one was developed by Spanish speakers in Central America versus Spanish speakers in Spain? Yeah. But it comes from the Nahuatl language, which was the language spoken by Aztecs. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, There was a 2017 study that was titled Cultural and Genetic Contexts for Early Turkey Domestication in the Northern Southwest. So if you think of the Southwest region as like Southwestern United States Mm -hmm. and Mexico, this is like in the Utah, Colorado area. Okay. And this was in American antiquity. And this suggests that based on this archaeological evidence that was from Utah and Colorado, turkeys were originally kept for their feathers, not meat. Oh. Yeah. So they had been domesticated around like 300 BCE at least. Um, So at least like 2000 years ago, they were domesticated in the Southwest. Mm -hmm. And this evidence was really interesting. The turkeys that they found like in these turkey pens in Utah and Colorado, the turkeys were fed the same maize that the humans ate. Mm -hmm. So they were, they weren't just feeding them, you know, like slop or like refuse or whatever. They were feeding them the same corn that they were eating themselves. Right. So they were obviously very valuable and important. It was considered very valuable if you were feeding your own food to the turkeys, but also their bones weren't cut and separated in the way that you would expect them to be if they were being used as food. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like if you're eating a chicken, you're probably going to be pulling the bones apart and then you'll find the bones sort of scattered, right? Mm -hmm. You might find like a leg bone over here, a wing bone over there. But the turkey bones were found in complete skeletons and they weren't cut like you would expect. Right. You would see small cuts from, you know, trying to remove the meat from the bone at least. Yeah. Didn't see that. The, The bones were intact. Also, the turkeys were given ritualized burials. People were at least, you know, treating the the bodies of the turkeys with care after they had died. Hmm. So um, suggesting that the real value of the turkey was in its feathers, which were used to make blankets and and clothes and things like that. That's also a fun little thing. If you're in an area with lots of turkeys, you'll occasionally find feathers oh they're everywhere yeah, yeah yeah and and they're they're really nice feathers too they're mm-hmm. very like big broad feathers that mm-hmm. are that are great for covering surfaces it's excellent for a hat like to like a feather in your hat yes absolutely <laughs> there were also fossils that were recovered at the el mirador archaeological site that's in guatemala mm-hmm. um so in guatemala in this like mayan archaeological site it showed that mayan people there had non-local Mexican turkeys. Hmm. So turkeys of this this wild turkey species in Guatemala where they were not native. 
and they were keeping them there, which mm. suggested that they would have brought turkeys in from somewhere else. And this was, you know, 2,000 years ago. So that uh, paper is called Earliest Mexican Turkeys, Meliagris Galapavo in the Maya Region, Implications for Pre-Hispanic Animal Trade and the Timing of Turkey Domestication. And that paper is open access. Nice. Love to see it. Love an open access paper. Um, but the idea there is that turkeys had been already so intimately like woven into human society that as humans were moving into new areas they were bringing the turkeys with them so they were obviously very important mm -hmm. so very closely uh tied with people and then those turkeys in mexico were actually the ancestors of all modern domesticated turkeys wow. yeah so the turkeys now that are like in in human care and being raised for for meat and such they are descendants of those mexican turkeys mm. because they were brought back to europe by the spanish so all that being said, so first category, effectiveness. If you've never listened to this podcast before, this is physical adaptations the animal has to let it survive and thrive, do the things it's got to do. I'm giving the turkey a seven okay. out of ten. And I just first of all, I got to talk about the waddle. Yes. I guess I thought this would be in the aesthetic section, but all right. Let's, let's go. I'm going to come back to it. Don't all right, worry. All right. <laughs> but first, because I was looking at it and I was like, there has to be a reason you're like this. Uh, okay. You know what I mean? Like you're looking at the waddle and you're like, you wouldn't just be like this, right? <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past them, but. <laughs> <laughs> like, why would you choose to look this way? <laughs> uh, because uh, if you've ever looked closely at a turkey, uh, it's a mess up there. Their no whole bet. head and neck area is bald and covered in these fleshy protrusions uh, called caruncles. Oh. Yeah, which is a fa <laughs> fascinating little... Oh, that's not the worst word I'm about to say. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in, in male turkeys, which are called toms, they are much more pronounced. They have like more fleshy bits. They're more brightly colored. And that's because they're for mating displays, you know, like the the bigger, more obvious and and brighter your uh, wattle is, the more desirable you are to a hen. But even outside of like mating and courtship and stuff, the fleshy bits do actually help the turkey mm. by letting it release heat through its skin. Oh, yeah, it's like a little heat sink basically, which okay. is really valuable because birds can't sweat. Ah. Yes. So birds don't have any other reliable oh. way to release heat. And they don't have an outer ear that other animals use as heat sinks either. Right. Okay. Yeah. So the flesh is helping them release heat, which is really important for turkeys. Because if you've seen turkeys out in the wild, you know, they're really spending a lot of time in like direct sunlight. You know, like they like That's to true. forage on the ground in like meadows and fields and lots of open grasslands. And they have a darker plumage, so they're absorbing that that sun. Yeah. Too. So, uh, so releasing heat is really important for the turkey. So that's one thing that the wattle helps with. Um, but then during the breeding season, the male's wattle <laughs> fills with blood. Uh, you know, blood rushes to it and mm -hmm. makes it even more red and fleshy than usual. You know, the, that's kind of the standard of beauty for turkeys is a big fleshy wattle. It's a, oh, it's a pendulous dewlap. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, okay, I did want to say this because this had me dying. There are different names for the different anatomical structures of the different types of caruncles okay. on the turkey's head. So the wattle is the bit that hangs down below the beak. Mm -hmm. So the part that actually like swings down below the beak 
the part that, you know, this little bit looks like a little worm that dangles over the beak yes. of the turkey. Yes. What do you think that's called? <laughs> if I, I gave you a million guesses, you wouldn't guess it. I, and, and I won't. <laughs> I, I want to hear one. I want to hear a guess. Um, uh, face finger. Face finger. Yeah, that is a great name. <laughs> You're gonna think I'm joking. It's called the snood. Oh, <laughs> spelled S N O O D. Okay, all right. Snood. <laughs> I thought this was a joke. So basically, this acts as kind of like a like a temperature barometer for the turkey. Oh. Because what happens is when the turkey is alert or stressed, the snood will contract and poke up like a little horn. I don't like that. If the turkey is stressed out, it's all contracted, so it like pokes up like a little unicorn. Huh. Yeah, and I learned that from a video that demonstrates this, and... I'm going to try my best to say the title of this YouTube video without laughing. Uh, the video is called, How Hot Is That Gobbler? Check His Deuce Nude. <laughs> uh. <laughs> so that's the snood. <laughs> Did it say deuce nude? The deuce nude, yeah. Like D-E-W? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's a delight. What a linguistic wonderland this is. <sighs> oh, yeah. Gobbler is something that people call turkeys. Oh, right. Uh, it's a little more of an informal sort of way of describing them, but you can say that. Also an onomatopoeia of what yes, they sound Yes, that like. is the sound that they make. Yes. <laughs> they do gobble. <laughs> uh, but pe I think people say gobbler to avoid confusion with the country of Turkey. Because <laughs> I kept trying to like, <laughs> as I was like Googling things, I was trying to Google like turkey flying and I would get Turkish airlines oh. and I would get like turkey swimming and I would get like Turkish Olympic swimming teams. Okay. So I was like, okay, I see now why. <laughs> I guess in, in person to person speech, I guess, context would always be enough, right? right. <laughs> yeah, you're always going to be able to figure out what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, turkeys do also have a spur. Which I'm sure you're you're familiar with, at least having been around them. Oh well, let me be clear: all of my interactions with turkeys have been at a great distance. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> smart because of the spur. Well, they're they're also fairly, you know, when it's time to pick fight or flight. They, in my experience, it was always flight, and that they would run away. <laughs> they will run away, yeah, but they will also fight you for sure. Yeah. Um, but this has always been like across a pasture, seeing them on a, like a tree line, yeah, that kind of thing. That that's always that's been like ninety percent of my interactions with wild turkeys. That's that sounds like an ideal interaction to have with wild turkeys. <laughs> turkeys do have a spur, which is this uh, thorn-like claw. It's a claw that just grows directly out of the leg. Okay. Like how a thorn grows off of the stem of a plant. You know, it's not like attached to like a digit or something. It's sure. just like sticking out uh -huh, there uh -huh. and that's to fight other turkeys during mating season so they can just so when they kick you they're yeah. also dealing piercing damage roosters have this too i think yeah they do yeah. so it's just a little extra knife <laughs> turkeys are actually powerful flyers in short bursts yes they're not distance flyers but when they do get up off the ground they can fly real fast mm -hmm. they're very muscular birds um, they're very strong, and so when they do, like, it's the sort of thing where, like, if one flies past you, it'll cause, like, a gust of wind. Yeah. yeah it's You can, like, hear it going over you. They're so powerful. But with them being really big and bulky, they're not very precise flyers. 
Um, so a lot of times if they're trying to fly like through tree coverage or through like a forest or something, they will kind of crash and <laughs> fall to the ground. And it's not super graceful. They're not like precision flyers, but mm-hmm. in a pinch, it'll get them where they need to go. Like you mentioned, they're great runners. They can run up to 25 miles per hour, which uh, to put that in perspective, the fastest human running speed ever recorded was Usain Bolt at 27.8 miles per hour, which is just above the turkey's max speed. Mm-hmm. So if you happen to be Usain Bolt on a good day, you can outrun a turkey. <laughs> if that turkey is on a flat track, I suppose. Yes. If it's like <laughs> you and turkey, final destination, no items, uh, you could probably you might outrun that turkey, but otherwise watch your back because they're coming for you. <laughs> they can catch you. Another thing that surprised me is that turkeys can swim quite well. Oh, really? They're really good swimmers. Yeah. They will sometimes, from flight, land in the water. On purpose? Yes, on purpose. Ah. They'll land in the water and then just like swim to the shore and they can fan their tail out and use it to steer, which looks a lot like the way an Anhinga uses their tail in the water. Yeah. They do the same thing. They like tuck their their wings in really, Mm -hmm. really close and they fan their tail out and then they kick with their legs. That shape of a bird doing that with their tail feathers in Mm -hmm. water is so interesting to me because I... It's it's very unique. You don't see anything else that, of that kind of outline doing right. that. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Turkeys aren't really divers, but I think if there's something in the water that they want to eat, because they're omnivores, mm. so they could be going after like bugs or little little critters, you know, if there's something in the water they want to eat, they will. Oh. Um, I just think like diving is not really their specialty. Sure. But they do at least swim. And some people even report that their turkeys in- literally enjoy swimming, Aww. like prefer to go in the water just for fun. That's nice. A little yes. dip. So turkeys like to swim. The, the only the thing that I really gave them a ding for, other than like the bulkiness causing some maneuverability issues in the air, is that their lifespan is only three to five years in the really? wild, which seems really short for a bird of that size. It does. Like for for some context, Canada geese, which are close to the same size, uh, live ten to twenty years in the oh. wild. So very short lifespan, I think. Huh. Yeah, quick turnaround on these turkeys. Interesting. Right? Wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, I know. So they're they're here for a good time, not a long time. We're taking a quick break to hear from our friends on the Maximum Fun Network. When we get back, we're gonna rate ingenuity and aesthetics for turkeys. So stick around. Manolo, guess what? Manolo, guess what? What, what, what? Dr. Game Show has made it to 100 episodes on Maximum Fun. Oh, that's true. I knew that. Well, to celebrate, we are releasing our entire Earwolf archives to Max Fun members. That's anyone who gives $5 or more monthly to support podcasts like Dr. Game Show. That's 63 episodes with in-studio comedian guests like Jason Manzoukas, Bowen Yang and Matt Rogers, Joe Para, Todd Berry and Janine Garofalo, Connor O'Malley, Chris Guthrie, and more. Plus three bonus episodes that include two pilot episodes. Wow, two pilots must be good. Find the feed at MaximumFun.org slash BOCO, B-O-C-O. Stands for bonus content. Mm-hmm. Presenting the new MaxFunStore.com. We've got shirts for your torso, hats for your head, drinkware for your finest beverages, and so much more. Starring your favorite Max Fun shows with new and classic designs. Find the perfect gift for the podcast fan in your life. Heck, that could be you. We're not judging. Head to MaxFunStore.com now. That's MaxFunStore.com. 
So uh, moving on to ingenuity, which for us is behavioral adaptations, things the animal is actually doing to like solve its problems or, or get by in its world. I'm giving the turkey also a 7 out of 10 for ingenuity. Okay. Turkeys have kind of a reputation for being simple-minded, I think, to put it gently. Domestic turkeys, for sure. Yes. And I think a lot of that, people often extrapolate that to wild turkeys as well. Mm -hmm. But I think this is exaggerated and unfair. Uh, First of all, because of the perception of domestic turkeys, right? Where like, domestic turkeys obviously have forgotten how to survive in the in the wild, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. They are, there is no reason for them to need to know anything outside of you know, living on a farm and being cared for by humans. Right. They've lost their survival instincts. Clearly, they're not a great barometer for the, you know, cleverness of a wild turkey. Mm-hmm. But wild turkeys do some interesting things. Um, so I mentioned earlier that turkeys forage on the ground. Right. But the thing about North America is that that's where all the predators are, <laughs> on the ground. True. Right? Coyotes, panthers, foxes, bears, gators like there's so much stuff on the ground that will ruin your day Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and turkeys are not only delicious to humans like anything on the ground will eat turkeys i mean think about it it's like a big very meaty very fatty very delicious meal yeah if you can grab it it's a it's an awesome thing to eat Mm -hmm. so to get around this um turkeys actually roost high up in trees yes so they get up in the tree to sleep so that they can spend the night in the safety of and they'll even prefer to go like as high up as they can go to get away from those ground predators yes this is one of my, I guess, core memories of the guinea fowl. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> the The main house on the farm had a, a, a tree kind of in the front yard uh, that all the guinea fowl would climb up into at night to, Aww, s- to sleep in. I bet it was cute. It was until <laughs> uh, someone drove up with their car at nighttime and their headlights shown on them mm-hmm. and then they all wake up <laughs> oh no <laughs> and then you mentioned earlier that they are loud yes okay it's all coming together no one's having a good time <laughs> <laughs> that's a an early alarm system like a motion activated uh security system <laughs> sets off an alarm right <laughs> Turkeys are also very social, and they travel together in huge flocks. Uh, the flock also has social hierarchies that are divided by, like, the toms have their own social hierarchy, and then the hens have their own social hierarchy. Mm-hmm. There's also a separate word for young toms, which is jakes. Really? It's like a young male turkey is called a jake, huh. I guess. They have their own social hierarchy, which they, you know, figure out mostly by fighting each other. But in addition to fighting each other, they also communicate vocally a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are familiar with the gobble. It's an iconic sound. It's like, blah, 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 like yes. that kind of sound. Yes. But they also yelp. They cluck. They purr. Uh, they make all sorts of sounds at each other. Um, I have a memory that involves, uh, I don't remember why, but I was out at this field with my grandfather where there was a huge flock of wild turkeys. I was sitting in the back of his pickup truck. And we were watching this huge flock of turkeys in the field, wild turkeys on the ground. And I had a Capri Sun straw with me. Uh And I had learned how to do this. You can DIY a turkey call. If you take a plastic straw and like kiss the end of it, Uh it makes a sound that sounds a lot like a turkey yelp. Like a turkey like, like that kind of sound. And so I would take this Capri Sun straw and and kiss the tip of it to make that turkey sound, and they would yelp back. 
<laughs> so the turkeys were like calling back at me. So I remember I, I felt like I was having like a Florida Disney princess moment because I was like communing <laughs> with the turkeys. <laughs> it works. Turkeys are very vocal and you can talk to them. That's cool. There's a lot of videos on YouTube of people like walking up to turkey pens and gobbling at them and they all gobble back. Yes, it's really funny, actually. It it have is. you ever tried it? <laughs> no, not personally, but I have seen a lot of those videos. It's very funny. I'm obsessed with it. Now, that being said, it is a lot of fun to have your little back and forth with turkeys. You can talk to them, gobble with them, have your camaraderie. Mm -hmm. But don't get too comfortable because wild turkeys can be extremely aggressive towards humans in places where they're so habituated to humans that they live in more urban environments. Oh, okay. Especially during the breeding season. Ah. So turkeys being generalists that don't really rely on a specific type of habitat, they get super comfortable living in cities, neighborhoods, stuff like that. They're super cool with just walking around where mm -hmm. people live. This means frequently crossing paths with humans and during the breeding season, these encounters can turn bristly when turkeys might try to intimidate or even physically attack humans. The Massachusetts government website actually offers guidance for preventing conflict with turkeys. The first piece of advice that the Massachusetts government offers is to get ahead of the behavior by not encouraging them to be close to humans. So uh, don't feed them, basically. Oh, like, okay. Don't yeah. feed turkeys. Especially don't hand feed them, because then the problem is that they get used to coming up to you, and they stop being afraid of people. Yeah. And then that means that they get a little bit more gutsy when it comes to, you know, they feel like, oh, I know, I know what you're about. I can just kind of step to you whenever I want. So don't do that. Don't let them get comfortable living to you but if you do happen to have a turkey who is already habituated and is running up on you basically the massachusetts division of fisheries and wildlife says and this is a quote from their website don't let turkeys intimidate you <laughs> thank you <laughs> which this... reads to me like are you gonna let them disrespect you like this <laughs> you weigh 10 to 20 times that bird <laughs> It Don't has, let him talk to you like that. <laughs> it has at least somewhat hollow bones. <laughs> Come on now. I know. You could have this thing for dinner. Uh, they say, uh, don't hesitate to scare or threaten a bold, aggressive turkey with loud noises, swatting with a broom or water sprayed from a hose. A dog on a leash is also an effective deterrent. Yeah. So always that you can get a turkey to leave you alone, <laughs> swatting with a broom. <laughs> I like to imagine that people like just walk down the street, like equipped with a little emergency, like water bottle, like a, you can just carry it like a super soaker around, like in case of turkey. <laughs> and if a turkey walks up on you, you just <laughs> sweep the leg. <laughs> <laughs> The website also reads, turkeys may respond aggressively to shiny objects and their own reflection. Since the stimulus to drive away the intruder is strong, and since the reflection does not disappear when the turkey confronts it, <laughs> the bird will often continually display towards or attack the reflection until changing light conditions cause it to vanish. Which is funny because that implies to me like they'll do it until the sun goes down. <laughs> like... <laughs> Until they literally can't see it anymore. <laughs> the Jacksonville Zoo used to let peacocks walk around free freely. Yes, and they I, absolutely did. I remember seeing one, see a peacock having this problem with a Coke vending machine. <laughs> <laughs> about this exact phenomenon with sandhill cranes yeah they do this in florida too um they will do the exact same thing it's a especially problem with car doors which they will attack 
even when there are people inside of that car. <laughs> so then people get scared, right? Because it looks to them like the bird is attacking them, uh-huh. but the bird is just attacking their reflection in the car. Yeah, um, just spectators. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the Massachusetts government website says if a turkey is pecking at a shiny object, cover or disguise the object, which is great. Fantastic. <laughs> disguise the object. <laughs> Put a nice little hat and sunglasses and mustache on it. <laughs> Pull the bird back. Say, it's not worth it, man. <laughs> He's not worth it. Walk away. Walk away. You've already won. Be the bigger bird. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, very much like the sandhill crane, the turkey sees its reflection and immediately beefs. Like, instant. <laughs> it's on site with these birds. Um, so, <laughs> also... <laughs> The general advice that I saw like repeated on a lot of different sources for like from people who are like wildlife experts that are telling you what to do about like turkeys. The the advice I saw repeated everywhere was to avoid eye contact, which is like are they working on Pokemon trainer rules? Like <laughs> Are you locked into battle if you make eye contact? <laughs> <laughs> so it is perhaps this brazen behavior that inspired benjamin franklin to praise them for it in a very famous letter to his daughter sarah in mm-hmm. 1784 have you heard of this letter i have yes okay it's probably not exactly how you think it is um there's some slight misconceptions around this letter okay um, but before i explain that i'm just gonna read exactly what benjamin franklin wrote all right so uh, for a little bit of context the uh the the national seal Mm -hmm. featuring the bald eagle on its design had sort of just been like finalized i guess Mm -hmm. um so the bald eagle had like just become the symbol for the united states of america right oh we're gonna put this on everything (laughs) yes um so the bald eagle had sort of just become the symbol and this was a letter that benjamin franklin wrote about it i'm gonna see if i can do a ben franklin voice (laughs) For my own part, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen as the representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character. He does not get his living honestly. You may see him perched on some dead tree where, too lazy to fish for himself, he watches the labor of the fishing hawk. Which I think (laughs) is an osprey. I think he may be talking about an osprey here. And when that diligent bird has at length tankered a fish and is bearing it to his nest for the support of his mate and young ones, the bald eagle pursues him and takes it from him. Besides, he is a rank coward. (laughs) The little kingbird, not bigger than a sparrow, attacks him boldly and drives him out of the district. He goes on to say, For in truth, the turkey is in comparison a much more respectable bird, and withal a true original native of America. Eagles have been found in all countries, but the turkey was particular to ours. He is besides, though a little vain and silly, tis true. (laughs) But not the worst emblem for that. A bird of courage, and would not hesitate to attack a grenadier of the British Guards, who should presume to invade his farmyard with a red coat on. (laughs) So TLDR. (laughs) Silly, goofy mood, but has the right vibe. Yes. I love how he's like, listen, are they dumb and goofy? Yes. (laughs) But slay. (laughs) So this letter has often been, I think, mis- 
represented. This is often cited as Benjamin Franklin proposing the turkey as the actual national bird, mm, okay. right? Um, it's often like described as him suggesting it officially. Not the case. This was literally just like a very informal letter to his daughter. He never even mailed this letter. It was just like among his family records. Oh. This letter wasn't published until after his death. So like if he was being serious about this, he at least never acted on it. Mm. Um, a lot of historians actually think he was just kind of joking around. Like he was just, like you said, silly, goofy mood. <laughs> um, a lot of people forget that like senses of humor are not modern. Like, you can be joking about something. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of uh, the Darwin entries about yes. some of the animals he was dunking scathing. on. Scathing. <laughs> Absolutely scathing. People Which... have been dunking on animals since time immemorial which i guess that would have come what 50 to 100 years later but yeah so and just along the same line of like you know even benjamin franklin was like yes they're dumb but also they'll fight you um (laughs) there is an often repeated myth about turkeys i wonder if you've heard it about turkeys in the rain yeah have you heard this i have yeah okay do you know how it goes the gist of it yeah can you recount for us sure The saying goes that domestic turkeys are so dumb that when it rains, they look up into the sky with their mouths open until they drown. Yes, that is exactly it. It's also not true. I figured. (laughs) The thing about that is that turkeys don't have binocular vision like humans do. Oh, okay. So their eyes are on the sides of their head, not on the front. Yes. So they are not looking where their beaks are pointing, which means that if they wanted to look up at the sky, they would need to tilt their head to the side. Right. Not point their beak up. Because the, the two fields of vision from each eye at least overlap very little or don't overlap at all. Right. So pointing their beak up would not accomplish that Mm -hmm. yeah no they don't do that (laughs) that is not true that is just patently false i couldn't really find anything about where that originated it just seems like a weird unwarranted dig at turkeys yeah it's like a folktale type thing yeah but then i think that also got like the the repetition of that just like made people assume that turkeys are just all incredibly full cloth very stupid (laughs) to the point that like it has become like when you call someone a turkey you mean like they're being stupid, right? Like they're doing something illogical or nonsensical, or maybe they're just being really like silly or, you know what I mean? I think I've only ever seen that on like TV <laughs> <laughs> where someone is calling someone else a turkey. I don't know. I feel like I've, I've definitely heard that. Probably called my kids that before. It's like, it's, you're being a turkey. It's a good PG rated insult, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's not completely grounded. The turkeys are, are not dumb. Um, and finally, that brings us to aesthetics okay. for the wild turkey. I'm giving the wild turkey a six out of ten. Mm-hmm. They are the least pretty gallinaceous bird. Yeah, of I all guess of so. them, they're the least pretty. Now that I think about it, yeah, I can't <laughs> think of a single one in this whole but order. That bar is so high. That bar is extremely high, and I'm sorry, but you look at that face. <laughs> Look at that face and try to tell me that's going to get anything higher than a six. And honestly, all six points are for the feathers. Yeah. The feathers are gorgeous. They are. The feathers are like brown and banded. 
Um, and they're very wide and have like the, the ends of the feathers have the sort of blunt tip like to them, mm-hmm. especially like the tail feathers have the sort of blunt tip and the feathers along like the body and neck have a very subtle iridescence to them that can shift from like red to gold all the way down into like blue and green. So the feathers are gorgeous. Um, feathers are, you know, used in clothing and jewelry and accessories and all sorts of stuff that can definitely see why they are gorgeous. It's mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful feathers. Especially like during their courtship displays, they'll splay their feathers out behind them. Yeah. Which is probably what you're thinking of when you think of a turkey, right? Uh-huh. You think of the way that their feathers fan out behind them to make the the handprint, you know, like a I I don't know about outside of the USA, but um usually for Thanksgiving, little kids will make artwork where they take their handprint and like put little feathers on the fingers to make it look like a mm-hmm. a turkey with the feathers splayed out. It's really cute. And that is pretty, but the majority of the time they don't look like that. They usually have their tail like down right. and relaxed. But when they do that, I think you can really see the resemblance to the peacock. Yes. Then then you sure. can see like, okay, I see where you're going with this. The peacock took that and just like completely <laughs> ran with it. Yeah. They're like, we're going to do that, but so much more fabulous than anything you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> A little craft tip. It's easy to turn their tail feathers into pens. Oh, true. Uh, you can take the insides out of a, a regular like ballpoint pen uh, and cut the tip off of the feather and just kind of shove that in there and yeah. maybe tape it or glue it. <laughs> I imagine probably like a lot of early like feather pens, like, you know, ink pens were probably. Oh, yeah. as like a quill. Yeah. yeah, they're perfect for that because they're yes. huge too, like big bulky feather. Yeah. Yeah. But considerably so. more messy though. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you know, the the bird itself, neck down, mm-hmm. gorgeous. I just, it everything goes so awry when you go above the neck area. It just completely pops off up there. Yeah. Which yeah. is very much from the human perspective. Like I said, that is the turkey standard of beauty. If this podcast was hosted by a turkey hen, then <laughs> probably would be getting a much higher aesthetics rating. But for me personally, couldn't be me. 10 out of 10 gobbles. Yes, 10 out of 10 <laughs> gobbles, for sure. Um, and to wrap up, you know, we usually talk about conservation status at the end, and there is actually some conservation stuff to talk about turkeys. Okay. They are now of least concern, oh. but they haven't always been that way. Mm. Yes. So when Europeans colonized North America, the combination of both clearing land away for logging and farming and also unregulated hunting right Right. people were coming in there was no there was no laws there were no rules you just shoot whatever you see right like you Mm -hmm, just what mm -hmm. if you see it you can shoot it and eat it um so completely unregulated hunting just like decimated wild turkey population and i should say it wasn't just the hunting it was the hunting and the land clearing yes like kind of a a lot of issues happening all at once and on a huge scale right on a scale that had not been happening in North America prior to that point. So decimated wild turkey populations, they were actually extirpated, meaning like locally extinct. Oh, okay. So like in certain parts of the country, they were gone. Like in, in I saw 19 different states, mm-hmm. turkeys were extinct. Wow. They, they did not live there anymore. In fact, the population fell from uh, pre-colonialism. There were estimated to be about 10 million wild turkeys in North America. By the 1930s, there were 30,000 left, wow. which is 0.3% 
of their original population. We did a bad. Did a real bad. Yeah, it did so bad. As you can imagine, in the 1930s, there was a lot else going yes. on at the time. <laughs> so people couldn't didn't really uh, have the, the resources to be dedicating to rewilding the turkey. Um, but eventually, state wildlife departments tried to reintroduce the turkey. Uh-huh. So their first plan was to release domesticated turkeys from farms. I mean... Because they're like, we got so many of them. Just set some of them loose. Just let them go. See how they do. Uh, Failed miserably. That went extremely bad. Okay. Turns out those turkeys had, in fact, forgotten how to live in the wild and could not do it. So Um, they just died. They just died. There was like a little bit. Like they they lived for like a little while. But it fizzled out like immediately. So that did not work. So in the 50s... (laughs) This is where it gets... Stuff in the 50s was wild. I'm so glad I didn't live in the 50s because everything that happened in the 50s was, like, cartoonish. Yeah. This is no exception. Scientists decided instead to start, like, reintroducing turkeys from the wild. So they'd take them from one place where they already lived in the wild, catch them, bring them somewhere where they had been extirpated, and re-release them. And the way they decided to catch the wild turkeys was by setting out bait for them in a field. Okay. Once the turkey, the wild turkeys came to take the bait, they fired nets out of cannons onto the turkeys <laughs> like a spy cartoon. Get them, Team Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just like the mental image of a flock of turkeys. Because, you know, turkeys just look like they look oh. bewildered at all times. Wait, this is a one large net for all those turkeys? Or is it like... It would just be a large net for like a flock of turkeys. Oh, I was thinking like individual nets for individual turkeys. No, okay. this was like they're... I mean, you know, why why go to the lengths of catching one individual turkey? They're, they're flocking. Like, you know, you can get a bunch I don't of have them. very many references for cannon-fired nets. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but like the mental image is very funny to me because yes. of how just bewildered turkeys look at all times. So they caught <laughs> these turkeys in the most uh, wily coyote way possible. This feels one step above setting up a box held up by a stick with like a little <laughs> like piece of corn underneath or something, and then just standing there with a string waiting for them to walk under. It's like a step above that. <laughs> but this worked. So the the wild caught turkeys actually did catch on. They survived and thrived. And uh the wild turkey population now has risen back up to about 7 million. Wow. So still a little shy of its original numbers, but they've repopulated areas where you used to not be able to find them. It's really been a turnaround. It's been a huge success story to repopulate the wild turkey. Well, that's good. Yeah. Um, I guess it helps that they're generalists, you know? Like, it's really easy right. for them to kind of, like, live wherever. But um, they're back, baby. Nice. <laughs> and, and you know, people still do hunt them now. Yes. Uh, it's just there's rules about it. There's yes. a lot of rules about, like, when you can hunt them and how many you can hunt um, so that we don't go down that road again. Right, probably... Probably age and restriction and that yeah. kind of thing. And I think also like the you can't hunt female turkeys. Right. I think it's like you have to hunt the male turkeys. I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of of game law. I'm sorry. I just, just don't. The, those are the general themes of yeah. regulations for hunting. <laughs> yes, but there's extremely good reason because we almost yeah. lost them, so we don't want to do that again. Yeah. I guess in closing, although most people now I think really only think of them in the context of a dinner plate. The reality is that turkeys have been walking alongside us for thousands of years, and they're intimately woven into the fabric of American history and identity. You know, like, I feel like you see a turkey, and that feels like 
that feels like an American moment. You know what I mean? Like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> like a turkey feels very like I feel like a sense of of identifying with mm-hmm. the turkey as like a identity thing. So I, I guess if you find yourself eating some turkey this holiday season, just just take a minute to appreciate the little humble little dinosaur that's on your plate. And, um, you know, if you do find yourself eating with family this holiday season, maybe share some turkey facts that you've learned today. Mm-hmm. I've provided you with ample ammunition for your dinner t- dinner table conversation, whether it is uh, Ben Franklin dunking on eagles or cannon nets. <laughs> And if you find a wild turkey stepping to you, dig deep, mm-hmm. find that apex predator within you. Yes, channel <laughs> channel monkey. <laughs> There's nothing tastier than a hard-earned meal. That's true. <laughs> it is truly man versus wild in that moment. Yeah, don't let him talk to you like that. That's the wild turkey. Thank you, baby. You're welcome. Thank you for yielding your time to me this week. Of course. As you can see, there's no way we could have done all this and then done another animal That's on top of this. quite fine. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, also, you're cooking Thanksgiving this year. You have a lot on your plate already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, having to, you know, do notes and is a little hectic. It's a welcome respite. <laughs> I think I used that word correctly. You did, but it's respite. Dang it. <laughs> You is were it, so is close. it spelled that way though? It is spelled that way. Yes, you're right. that's why. Um. So yeah, that brings us to a close for this week. I hope that everybody listening has enjoyed it, and also if you're traveling for the holidays, I hope you have safe travels. I hope you have a lovely time. I hope that everything is is safe and happy for you this holiday season. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you could leave us a five star review on like Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening on that allows you to leave reviews. Uh, we're also on social media, so you mm-hmm. can come hang out with us. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. I'm not super active on Twitter anymore. Um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have stepped away from Twitter. I will still be posting new episode links there and like periodically checking DMs and replies, uh, but I won't be regularly posting there anymore. Sorry about that. Yeah, but, me neither. Yeah. Oh, yeah, big huge change for you (laughs) but i am very easy to reach at any of the other platforms uh especially discord our discord is so kind and and Mm -hmm. sweet also new merch dropped uh at the maximum fun merch store if you go to maximumfun.org they have a merch store on there that has new little designs that i made that are three different little animal silhouettes with our title like written in them uh, I made those designs and I'm quite proud of them. So uh, I would I would love it if you are looking for maybe a stocking stuffer. They come in in stickers and t-shirts. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for maybe like a, a stocking stuffer or a gift idea for somebody that you know that likes the show, that'd be a great, great thing to pick up for them. I'm going to be on a live stream event with Maximum Fun. It is the Tarot Show with John Moe. That is going to be on Tuesday, November 29th at 8 p.m. Eastern or 5 p.m. Pacific time. That's going to be with John Moe, Stuart Wellington, Carrie Poppy, and Tom Lum. So uh, that's going to be, I think, a really fun time and also proceeds benefit the National CASA GAL uh, organization, which does child advocacy and guardian ad litem programs. So that's ah. a great, uh, it's for a great cause. And I think it's going to be a great show. So everyone go check that out. Um, that's all I, I think that's all I got this week. Very good. Yeah. 
Thanks, Pip. Thank you. Happy holidays, everybody. Bye. Bye. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.